As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, a national chain of neighborhood grocery stores where you can run a naked bootleg to score delicious food at great prices. From mac and cheese balls to mini balls of meat, you'll always end up with a touchdown. Learn more at TraderJoes.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman and... Bruce, what a weekend of football we have had. Yeah, especially what we saw on Sunday night. I thought it was, uh, I don't know how good either A&M or UCLA are going to turn out to be, but it was quite a wild show. And the other game, West Virginia, Virginia Tech was a lot of fun too. So, I I mean, it was was just a really good way to cap. uh, And as we tape this, we still have one more game left, Tennessee, Georgia Tech, but it was a really good way to cap. It was a pretty interesting, uh, a lot of ups and downs first weekend. Well, let's just start right there. I mean, obviously, we want to get to a lot of stuff that happened over the weekend, but it's fresh in our minds. By the way, just to give you a little bit of a, a color here, I was on my flight back from Atlanta to home, and I watched the entire UCLA and M game on Delta. Thank you, Delta. And it really made the time go by because there was a lot to take from that. We... We knew going into this game, I mean, people were joking that it was the hot seat bowl, but I've never seen anything quite like this, where UCLA fans were ready to fire Jim Mora, probably in the second quarter, and by the time it was over, UCLA completed the 34-point comeback, second largest. Do you know what the largest was? You know, our guys put it up on the graphic, and I'm blanking on what it was. I actually saw it. I remember it. I remember it well. John L. Smith, Michigan State, came back from... 38-3 against Pat Fitzgerald's first Northwestern Wildcats team. It always comes back to Northwestern, doesn't it? Somehow it always does. But uh, First of all, let's start with this. You've covered Josh Rosen a lot. And I guess it hadn't really hit me. And and I know Twitter is not the perfect gauge of public opinion. But as the meltdown was happening in the first half, and, and UCLA was just embarrassing itself, He's getting blindside sacked because his left tackle completely whiffs, and they yet, it seems like they yet again have no running game. 
I tweeted, poor Josh Rosen. He's getting no help. I guess I did not realize that Josh Rosen has become quite as polarizing as he has because of, I assume mostly because of the comments about amateurism, but maybe the hot tub picture, all that. It's I, think it re- I think it really has to do, he, he's jumped into two things that have hit a nerve. One, years ago, the Donald Trump, Trump photo. Mm-hmm. From, but I think really it has more to do with uh, his comments to Matt Hayes from Bleacher Report you know, a few months ago that just came out. Uh, before the season where you get into, you know, do school and, you know, college and and football mix. And I think because of that, uh, he's become, as you said, really, really polarizing. And also I think that a lot of it is whoever this player is, if you get a lot of hype, people are, people are waiting for you to fall and waiting for you to get, you know, to get exposed. And I think that's what, you know, social media is, is a pretty, you know, pretty uh, messy barometer for that. Well, I, but I don't think people are rooting for Sam Darnold to get exposed. I think or, you're. I th- actually think you're wrong because if you put up somebody's stats and they're not that good after they've been on the cover of Sports Illustrated and and gotten a lot of hype, uh, there are people. You're going to get a lot of blowback because there's going to be a lot of fans who feel like that guy, you know, our guy should be getting more hype. Instead, that guy gets all the hype. And I'm not saying it's Oklahoma State fans or whoever, you know, feel like their guy is slighted for this other guy who's getting anointed as the first pick in the draft. But I think that has as much to do with it as anything. Because, you know, if you tweeted Lamar Jackson, you know, the night that, that Houston was going after him on Thursday night and he was really struggling, I think there's just a lot of people that you'll hear from that are just, I don't know if it's a, like waiting for his comeuppance, but it's like, you know, no one can be that good on social media. That's just the way it is now. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. From a from a football perspective, I think with Josh Rosen, it seems to go into a little more of the off field stuff. But I think there's also people who want to, him to be exposed as a not the great NFL prospect that he is. I'm not going to try to evaluate his NFL stock based on that second half comeback. All I know is, after all the times he got hit and knocked down in the first half, he kept coming. He kept coming, and the Spike, fake spike was just such a brilliant play call. Pulled it off perfectly. I just can't imagine a more exhilarating way to experience a victory than UCLA fans did the other night. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, credit to Jed Fish. He's the offensive coordinator who behind the, the, the fake spike. He's Josh Rosen's third offensive coordinator in three years. So it's been a wild ride. Uh, the one thing I wrote uh, in my Heisman watch, uh, as I did this morning, was you know, no one doubts how good arm talent he has. I mean, you saw a lot of that. Now, there was, there was, there was a, some brilliance, and there was some luck. You know, one of the touchdown passes, he, the ball gets tipped. The another touchdown pass, it should have been picked off. The A and M defender through. just whiffed. Yeah, it just goes right through his hands and and goes on to the UCLA receiver. But some of the other things were were pretty terrific. But the the thing more than anything else, and I've talked to a bunch of NFL personnel people earlier in the day was really two things stood out. One, no one can question Josh Rosen's toughness. And if you did just watch the pounding he took and just kept on, you know, kept on hanging in there. But the other thing was when you come back like that and you don't let your team give up, especially if they've been bludgeoned by the run game in the whole first half, that's something that I think is probably the biggest takeaway NFL people took from this is just the resilience that you have to have to lead a comeback like that. So um, you know, that's that there's that, by the way, you know, 
this is maybe tells you that tells you the window into into you know Pac-12 football in Los Angeles. Josh Rosen's best weapon, Caleb Wilson, started out his career as a walk-on at USC. Hmm. And I mean, look, and and A and M didn't have any answers for him. Caleb Wilson was just gashing them. He was the guy that Rosen leaned on to really get get settled in, and as it got to the second half, and they just couldn't couldn't slow him down. The other thing I would say is USC probably has four running backs that would start right now at UCLA. So, uh, very very interesting to see what US UCLA can do. Is this a springboard? It was just just kind of one wild night, kind of like. You know, last year's Texas Notre Dame game. Uh, yeah, me, I I think it's going to be. I'm not. I don't want to rain on their parade. I think it's going to be exactly like the Notre Dame. I mean, it was a fantastic game to watch, but it in a much different way though than say the Florida State Alabama game I was at, which was nobody misses tackles and every hit is a big hit. And there's you know, Alabama goes the whole game without turning over the ball. Like th- those are teams playing at a very high level. This was sloppy in a kind of in a way that makes college football fun. Frankly, when you when when one team's line is just completely overmatched as UCLA's was in the first half, or you know Travion Williams bursts that long touchdown run and then goes to the sideline and gets a scepter. Uh, that's what made that game so fun. I wouldn't be surprised if we get to the end of the year and they're both six and six type teams. And in for A and M in particular, first of all, there are any number of scenarios where they could have prevented this from happening. I don't know why on earth Kellen Mond was throwing as much as he was. Uh, I don't know why they were snapping the ball with 10, 15 seconds left on the play clock all the time. But ultimately, you know, I think, I don't think one loss does a team in, uh, even as crushing as this is. College football players are pretty resilient. I think they'll wash it from their, um, you know, from their, the vibe around the team pretty quickly. But that's a pretty significant quarterback injury, given what, Kellen Mond, how little Kellen Mond showed us as a passer once he came in. Yeah, I think he's going to progress. I, I was there a couple of weeks ago for a feature for our pregame, and I do think, you know, there's a lot to like about that kid. Um, he's more than just a runner, and they do have really good receivers to lean on, especially, obviously, Christian Kirk. But I'm curious where they pick up the pieces. I One thought that kept on coming through my head, I was in, in studio at Fox with Mike Hill last night, and as this thing is rolling, I was just thinking, I want to say it was like maybe 10 years ago. Actually, I don't think it was maybe, maybe nine years ago. It's full, it turned out to be Phil Fulmer's last year. And Tennessee is a top 20 team. They are ranked. Uh, they come out to UCLA. UCLA has a debacle of a first half. I mean, they have so much quarterback issues or whatever. And in the second half, John Chavis just could not make any adjustments. And UCLA ended up beating them. And it was like... It was one of the crazy scenes because I think it was Newt Heisel's first game, and it was like at the end of the night, it's like he's playing guitar and like <laughs> he was leading know, the fight song. It was UCLA football is back. But it was I just kept on thinking, and I remember talking to Norm Chow afterwards, and you talked to some of the Tennessee players. I was covering it for ESPN, and they were just like, "We never made any adjustments." And I was just thinking, man, John Chavis must hate the Rose Bowl because he's had two spectacular second half meltdowns, and hopefully for Kevin Sumlin's sake. It's not going to end the way it did for uh, for Phil Fulmer, and that was that was the swan song that year. But you know, to kind of spin it forward, you know, you got a you got a Board of Regents guy going off on Facebook, basically, you know, oh, it was for someone's vintage, That's what vintage, we're getting now. Vintage fan meltdown. They broke Tex Ags at some point. The the main A and M fan site. 
I went on their radio show. I'm doing a regular appearance on their radio show this year. And actually, Gabe Bach, the host, asked a question that I didn't have a great answer for, and I'm wondering what you think. John Chavis was such a good defensive coordinator at Tennessee and LSU. Why is it just not happening for him at A&M? You know, look, when you're at LSU, you got, you know, the, the pretty much the best personnel or as good as anybody. But A&M uh, has recruited very well. They have. I, I honestly don't know. I think sometimes people figure things out. I mean, last year I, I saw them once in person, and it was against LSU on a short week. And Danny Etling looked like one of the Manning brothers. I mean, Darius Geis ran all over them, but I just kept on thinking, man, Dan, I, if Danny Etling played like this all the time, LSU would play for the national title. So, you know, there was some concerns about whether John Chavis would get, would get brought back for 2017. And I think uh, when you see them in person, they definitely have a lot of uh, talent. I don't think it's quite at the level of those other places he's been. It's just very, very puzzling why they have not been able to get it figured out better on defense and still have these breakdowns. Agreed. Now, I got to tell you, this flight I was on, this Delta flight, they had satellite TV and they had Fox, so I was able to watch the UCLA A&M game, but for some reason they didn't have ABC. So I really just saw highlights of Virginia Tech, West Virginia, but it seems like the takeaway is, and I know it's only one game, but Josh Jackson, the freshman quarterback, off to a great start for the Hokies. Yeah, he ran the ball well. He did not have any turnovers. I thought that was big. Cam Phillips played well. You know, I mean, let's keep in mind, this was a West Virginia team that only has two returning starters back on defense and is pretty suspect on the D-line. But I thought, you know, for a newcomer, first start, national TV, big stage, I thought he played well. I actually thought Will Greer played very well. I mean, when you put up 600 yards of offense against the Bud Foster defense that has, almost, you know, has so many guys back, that's that's pretty impressive. So it was a it was a really good game. It was much different uh, pace than what we just saw from UCLA and M. But uh, I'm curious to see. You know, Justin Fuente is a really good coach. I'm curious to see how much better that team will become with this young quarterback. So okay, now let's take a step back. Let's look at the whole weekend. Well, first of all, let's get into the game I was at, where you know. Florida State, Alabama, Alabama, hey, guess what? They still have a great defense. Um, they're still going to be a national championship contender. But obviously the story ended up becoming DeAndre Francois out for the season now after the knee injury he suffered with about a little over five minutes left when, frankly, the game was pretty much decided. You know, I think I come away from that game feeling like Florida State has a playoff caliber defense. I feel like we didn't really get a good gauge of their running game because they just weren't even going to try to run it on Alabama. But now the huge question mark. I mean, can this team come achieve what they want to achieve, at the very least win the ACC, with James Blackman, a true freshman quarterback, a three-star recruit? That doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to be great. But, uh, I mean, just it sounds like the original plan was this guy would take a couple of years to develop behind Duyante Francois. Now... It's his team. Yeah, so let me ask you two things. First, I, I, I want to ask you because you were there. If Florida State is better on special teams, do you think they win that game? If Florida State's better on special teams, I mean, it goes right down to the wire. I and mean, who knows who wins the game? I mean, in the second half, neither offense could do anything. So it would who knows what it would have come down to. I would also say, remember, the game also turned on a missed, I thought, missed pass interference call on what would have possibly been a Florida State touchdown. So 
I mean, to me, th- these were two evenly matched teams for the most part. And the special teams, you know, you couldn't you couldn't have more mistakes on special teams in a game than Florida State had. Yeah, now the second part of this is, you know, so you're putting a true freshman in here, whether he's a five-star or a two-star. I mean, this is a heavy lift because, you know, you got – it's not a, not a ton of experience at receiver. There is no Dalvin Cook in the backfield anymore. So – you know, they get Louisiana Monroe this week, and then Miami comes to visit next week. Miami has, you know, limited quarterback experience on its own side. But the Canes have a pretty nasty defense, especially in the front seven. I think that matchup just got way more intriguing. For sure. Because you have so much, you know, uncertainty now. And the one thing I would, I think you'd say is DeAndre Francois, no, you know, really tough kid. We, we found that out last year. People liked him as a leader. Uh I don't know if you predicting now. Do you think Florida State is even a top top fifteen team? You know, I would like to. Uh, I don't mean to cop out on this, but I'd like to see Clemson Auburn first. I'd like to see where Clemson's at. Louisville, you know, that Purdue game was a lot closer than I would have expected, but I also think it was a little deceiving. Uh, Louisville fumbles twice inside the Purdue two yard line. They could have probably opened up a much wider lead early on. So it kind of depends on what's going on in the rest of the ACC. Maybe it's an opportunity for Miami. But I, the, the track record of true freshman quarterbacks leading a team, I mean, Jalen Hurts did it last year, obviously, on about as loaded a team as you can get. Um, the difference is twofold. One, well, it's really one big difference because I do think Florida State's got some great receivers, especially on tape. Alabama ran the ball really well with Bo Scarborough and Damian Harris, and you know you're going to get that. I don't know where – I mean, Cam Akers came in. It looked like he's probably going to establish himself as the number one running back pretty quickly. But how effective can he be, especially since you've got to think they're going to start loading – the defenses will load the box, thinking the freshman quarterback can't you know, do too much against them. So my hunch is this could be a little rough for Florida State, but I'd like to see – I mean, it could be rough for Clemson without Deshaun Watson. We just haven't, you know, them playing Kent State wasn't a good read. Uh, flipping back to Alabama, you, now they lost Christian Miller. It was a, you know, they had a lot of hopes for him as an edge rusher. Do you think that this team is clearly the number one team in the country? Well, I don't know about clearly, but there, you know, any concerns you had about this is the year they don't reload on defense? Nope. It's new faces, same defense. Jalen Jalen Hurts, I thought, was decent. I mean, I don't think he played poorly the other night, but it was another one of these situations where they didn't ask him to do too much. Calvin Ridley's really good. The running backs are really good. You know, it's hard for me to imagine they won't be in the hunt right till the end. In Jalen Hurts' defense, not that you were really slamming him, they probably will not see a better defense than they faced. You know, they won't see a better player than Derwin James. They probably won't see a, a you know any better defensive line than they just thought either. He also had a couple bad drops from his receivers. I, I frankly thought he looked good. Now, some people will look, watch the same tape and say uh, he's still not that great. But, you know, he had a really impressive. Um, for instance, here's, here's how divided people are on Jalen Hurts. On the long touchdown pass, uh, I thought it was a perfectly placed throw, really impressive downfield throw. Other people are like, well, the guy was wide open by 10 yards. What's the big deal? So, I, I, for whatever reason, there's some debate about him. But... I think Alabama is in pretty good shape. I'm not too worried about them. Ohio okay. State, on the other hand, 
who I have as my national championship pick, and who I think right now you would say, if you're telling me, are you sure Alabama's number one? Well, I'm not sure. Ohio State. What was your takeaway from that? Oh, wait, you didn't probably didn't see that Thursday in Indiana. Game. I didn't see any of it live. I saw some highlights, but no, I didn't see a lick of that game because I was I was at Oklahoma State All around, right. around the same time. Well, let me fill you in. Ohio State's offense for about two and a half quarters looked pretty much like it did last year. Uh, and then all of a sudden, a couple receivers got open big, big deep uh, catch and runs from JT Barrett to his receivers. JT Barrett ends up having a pretty decent stat line. J.K. Dobbins, a true freshman running back, though, is the star of the show. Uh, and that's without Mike Weber, who will come back this week against Oklahoma. Uh, my concern for Ohio State and maybe it's just a mild concern, you know, they did lose three first-round defensive backs. And there were times when Indiana, Simi Cobbs, who's a really good receiver, was able to work those DBs a little bit. Now in comes Baker Mayfield. You saw Oklahoma up close. Do you give Oklahoma, uh, you give Oklahoma a shot at Columbus? They're a seven-point underdog. I do give them a shot. Uh, you know, I saw both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State you know, from field level this weekend. Neither had a big test. I think Tulsa is better than UTEP, but Tulsa didn't look that very good against these guys. Um, Baker, here's what I, I I don't think they will miss D.D. Westbrook. I, I really think Mark That's Andrews crazy. Stepped, Mark Andrews stepped up, and they are deep at receiver. Jeff Bedette, the Kentucky grad transfer, gives them something. Uh, they really love C.D. Lamb, who's a true freshman receiver. I think he's gonna be a he's gonna be a star for them. They they have, just have more depth, and I think so. I really don't think they'll miss. They may miss D.D. Westbrook a little bit, but I don't think they're going to miss him a lot. I, the running backs, to me, is a, is a different question. You know, they have four guys. I don't know if one of them, you know, Abdul Adams may be the guy who emerges the most. He was, he was the one who started. But I just, that's the part where I'm not sure that they can pick up for it. Now, their offensive line is, is even better this year than it was last year. And I think Baker's only, only going to get better. Um you know their defense, I think, is is better than it was last year. They've shifted to now a four three. They've got really, they're really good in the front in the front seven. They're they're much improved. The young linebackers are more athletic. They're more physical. I think that bodes well. And here's what I want to see. So Baker Mayfield, you know, he was not thrilled that last year that Ohio State players were singing their fight song on the field, as they said it was embarrassing. Okay, well, now you got to do something about it. It's Lincoln Riley's first road game. Obviously, that's not going to be easy. Um, but I definitely give him a chance because I think Baker Mayfield is that talented, and I think he's just that good of a quarterback, especially behind a really experienced offensive line, albeit against but probably the best defensive line in the country in Ohio State. You kind of mentioned them real quickly, but Oklahoma State, after seeing them in person, are you ready to jump on my playoff pick bandwagon? It's going to be a weird bandwagon now with me, you, and Brando on there. Um, I think their offenses will be the best in the country. Wow. Yeah, just their receivers are insane. They are like eight deep, and I would say they have eight guys who probably would start at most Power 5 schools. I mean, they're like everybody now knows about James Washington. Marcel Aitman is back. He missed all last year. Tyron Johnson you know, was a former five-star kid who started out at LSU, was really dynamic. The other thing that's that's a big improvement, Justice Hill, I, I would put him as one of the five or six best running backs in the country. I mean, he's up over 200 pounds. He's really explosive. They have guys behind him who can roll. 
defensively, I still have big concerns, but that was a pretty good scheme that they went up against and they shut down in Tulsa. I mean, I granted Tulsa was breaking in a new quarterback, but I liked what I saw from Oklahoma State. And if I had to pick right now, I might lean to oh, that game is the Bedlam game at least is in Stillwater. I'm I'm that much of a believer now in, in Mason Rudolph and that offense. There you go. Welcome to the bandwagon. Yeah. Of course, this being the Big Twelve, even if they do win in Stillwater, then they'll probably turn around and lose in this new <laughs> championship game rematch that they've assured. Um, but that's a long ways away. Want to hit it on a couple other games real quick? Michigan, Florida. Michigan looked good. How concerned are you for Jim McElwain at this point? Concerned that he may get fired this year or concerned that they may go 6-6 six and six and it will be on the hot seat in 2017? Both. I've, I think it's more the latter. I mean, their offense just has struggled really. I mean, it struggled it predates him, but just you know, really, really got mauled by Michigan. The other thing that I think is a big picture question is all this stuff that's going on off the field with the 10 players suspended there, you know, we hear there could be more getting suspended uh, indefinitely. You know, when, if, and when do you get these players back? I just, you know, I've heard there's a lot, there's some friction in the administration there with how he's, and now there's issues off the field. And obviously Jim McElwain was not hired by this AD Scott Strickland, who just came from Mississippi state. I, I don't know. I feel like they are at best a seven-win team this year because because as, as as shaky as the as the SEC East is, the SEC East bottom at least has gotten better. It's and and there's a lot of parity there. I could see them struggling. I think they're going to probably be struggling for most of the year. Wow, that's a lot coming off of one game. That it's that, just not off of not one game though. It's some knee-jerk reaction. Well, it's not just off of one game, though, Stu. I think there's, like I said, it's off-the-field issues as well. And I think some of those things are not going to help. I mean, if you're now for, if you're now looking and going, okay, who's the guy? I mean, you think it goes back to Felipe Franks? Is it is it Zaire? Are they go give Luke Del Rio a shot? I mean, I don't think they're any closer to resolving anything. No, and I think that's a problem. Now, I do think that Michigan defensive line that just manhandled Florida – is going to be one of, if not the, it's going to be one of the best defensive lines in the country this season, which is crazy because Ohio State probably has the best. So those two rivals. But, um, and I liked what I saw from Michigan given how many new starters were out there on the field. But um, no, there wasn't a lot to like about Florida in that performance. What's interesting is the window of opportunity is there for Georgia. I feel like if, if they don't win the SEC East, something went wrong. But they are dealing with their own quarterback injury situation now. Jacob Beeson got hurt against Appalachian State. The good news is, Kirby Smart said on Monday, it's not a season-ending injury. But he won't be starting in South Bend on Saturday. Jake Fromm, the true freshman, will be. Notre Dame, 4-8 and eight a year ago, is a six-point favorite over the presumptive SEC East favorites. You think that's a good spread? Are you buying that? I mean, I, I do like... Brandon Wimbush, I think he is going to be a star in South Bend. You know, Josh Adams, I think, you know, some Notre Dame fans are ready to throw him into the Heisman mix after, you know, thumping Temple. I uh, think they all need to um, catch a breath. It was Temple. Uh, Temple was really good under Matt Rule. I don't know if they're going to be really good under Jeff Collins, but it was obviously an encouraging start for the Irish. This is a heck of a Georgia defense they're about to face. Let's. See. I'm actually now find myself. You know, when you looked at it before this season, you thought, oh, that's a good game, but it's not 
Ohio State, Oklahoma, or Clemson, Auburn, you know, some of these other games on Saturday. A loaded Saturday, by the way. I find myself now really interested in Georgia Notre Dame. I do too. I, I think I'm with you. I think it's it's there's a lot of intrigue there. I mean, I don't think either team is a top ten team, but I think it's uh, it's a fun matchup because it's you know this is one of those styles makes fights, and we're going to find out a lot more honestly about Kirby Smart in this setting. You've been around USC a lot. You live out there. And, you know, what happened Saturday at the Coliseum, Jake Olson getting to get out there and, and play and be the long snapper for an extra point was, I mean, I still remember the original game day feature, um, the last Pete Carroll season when he was, I believe, 12. Um, it was a gut-wrenching thing then. And so to see it kind of come full circle where he's now not only on the team but playing in the game, um, you know, for people who just kind of saw the clip and then moved on with their lives, can you kind of describe for us why that was so meaningful? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, Pete Carroll did a lot of great things when he when he was the head coach here. You know, he was very invested in the inner city community. He he just did a lot of really big things that I would say were part of his legacy of how he ran the program, in addition to winning a lot of games, obviously. But I thought the Jake Olson element of it, Jake Olson is a kid, parents were huge USC fans uh, from Orange County, and would come to practice, was, was going to have a surgery to lose his sight. And a couple of the players who, you know, the team really kind of just adopted Jake Olson and were there and went above and beyond. Chris O'Dowd, I don't know if people remember him, he was their starting center, was one of those who really, really befriended him. But most of those players did, the Matt Barkley's and everything. And they really took him in. And this kid's spirit, I mean, he's a man now. I mean, but uh, I remember I talked to him for a story when, when Pete Carroll when was en route to winning a Super Bowl, I had talked to Jake then, and he was playing football in high school. He was golfing. He had, he, I think he was, had all these other things he'd accomplished. And, you know, his story is so inspirational about it. And just to see this, you know, he was on the team last year. He's also now, he's, I don't know, 6'4", 220 pounds. He doesn't look like the same little kid you saw in those TV features back when, back uh when he was having the when he was having the operation and losing his sight so to see him out there in the game i mean big credit to to usc to clay helton he had uh, arranged it with tim lester the new head coach at western michigan basically so on western's first touchdown usc was not going to rush the pat and on the last pat that jake olson was going to come in i thought you know, I thought it was just a really cool moment and probably as good a highlight as we're going to see this season. I agree, and it was really cool to read after the fact in Bill Plasky's column the details of how that came together, that Western Michigan, that Tim Lester is so cooperative about it. Now, I will say it looked for a while there like it might not be able to happen. Um, that was a much tougher game for USC than people were expecting, and I'm wondering if people should be concerned that USC – uh, might not be quite the playoff contender that it was billed to be. Well, I am on record as they're not my playoff pick, and I think they're going to be good. I don't think they're going to be great. You know, Sam Darnold, uh, no touchdowns, a couple interceptions. Hang on one second. We've got a visitor. I hear. Yeah, it's on me. It was Daddy's on me. Mm-hmm. You're on the audible right now. You're a guest on the Audible. We weren't even necessarily expecting you. Did oh, you just, thank you. Did you just walk into the studio? Yeah. Okay. That was interesting. 
Okay, well, I am not, I'm on record as not having USC in the playoff or even winning the Pac-12. I think they'll be good, not great. Uh, lots of inexperience. I think they will still struggle with consistency. Now, look, Sam Darnold, stat line not great, no touchdown passes, two picks. I don't think he was that bad. He had a couple of bad throws down the field. He had some drops. This is a new group of receivers. Um you know, I would expect Tyler Vaughn's a young receiver who's, who really was their star receiver in training camp. I think he will become more of a factor. Here's what I think is a concern, though. Western Michigan, who was good last year under P.J. Fleck, really ran it down their throats. Over yeah. 260 yards rushing. Now they're going to get Stanford. Stanford has a way better offensive line than Western Michigan. So... This defensive line, the defensive front that Clancy Pendergast has, they got to show up a lot better and figure things out or else Stanford will maul them. And Bryce Love, who almost had 200 yards in the opener, you know, will have a huge day against them in the Coliseum. Definitely puzzled about that aspect of it. When I saw them in pra- practice in person in the spring, I mean, the defensive front was one of the things that stood out the most. So you wonder if that was just some sort of first game um, – you know, weird things happen in the first game. In terms of Darnold, my question was how much is he going to miss Juju Smith-Schuster and Darius Rogers? He still has Deontay Burnett. Deontay Burnett had a huge game, but nobody else did on the receiving core. So. I think they will work in to watch Tyler Vaughn's. The other thing is I really expect Ronald Jones to have a huge year this year. I mean, I talked to one of the guys on the staff. He said he has just matured a lot. He had a really good game. I think they will... I don't say they will lean on him, but I think he's a guy who has a chance to be a 1,500-yard back. So He looked great the other night. Absolutely. He did. Now, let's see. You know, In the trenches, you know, Stanford will not be, certainly will not be intimidated by USC. So that's going to be a good one. I really want to see how, uh, what kind of adjustments Clancy Pendergast, the defense coordinator, makes to go up against this test Stanford's going to give him. I can't believe we went this long without mentioning Maryland, Texas. Maryland, Texas, what a way to start your first college football Saturday a game that Texas was expected to just cruise. And it turns into this, not just an upset, but such a wild game with so many momentum swings and weird special teams plays. But at the end of the day, you know, look, I'll admit, I have not watched Maryland football closely in a couple years. They've got a lot of athletes on offense, a lot of speed. They do. Uh, Pigram, the quarterback, was good. And then when he went down, Kasim Hill, now this guy was a big recruit for DJ Durkin. He was pretty unflappable how he kind of went in there. It's not just his first big game. It's on the road. And, you know, the momentum could have swung. And I just thought they did such a good job. I mean, credit to DJ Durkin and that staff for what they did. I mean, they just really had a plan. They stuck to it. They hit big plays. I thought they did a, did a really good job. You know, some of that is on Walt Bell, the offensive coordinator there. I think they really played to those kids' strengths. And Texas, again, just... Not good in the run defense. And More I think of if, the same, right? Yeah. I mean, look, they had a pick six early on, but you know, Todd Orlando's the new defensive coordinator's got his got his work cut out for him, obviously. More missed tackles. You know, even when Texas started to regain momentum, they'd give up another big play. Look, I, I know it's easy to pile on because there was so much hype for Tom Herman. I don't think that game necessarily means that they're gonna go five and seven again. They could still very much be the eight and four kind of team that, frankly, I was predicting for this season. I didn't think they're going to rise up and win the Big 12. Um, but I am curious to see, I guess that's what I'm saying more about Maryland. I'm curious to see, okay, is Maryland going to be 
um, a threat to, I mean, Mar- the, the, you could argue that the college football playoff in many ways will run through Maryland and that they obviously play Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Can they knock one of those teams out of the race? Uh, or was this just one of those weird week one games and you move on? Well, here's one thing that's that dawned on me, you know, early on Saturday, which was the Big Ten East had quite a week because if you look at it, obviously Michigan, you know, thumped Florida in an SEC team. You know, Ohio State won on the road, but Indiana looked pretty impressive in the way they, you know, the way they hung in there in the first half, hit some big plays. Rutgers was not embarrassed by Washington. Rutgers has a pulse now. Yeah, they were not embarrassed by them. Goes on the road, and I don't know what they were a seventeen point underdog, and they beat Texas. That's not to you know say anything about Penn State just destroyed who you know Akron, which we expected, but you know they held serve. So I think when you look up and down the board, you know Michigan State won. That was about as good a weekend as I think you could ask for from an di- opening week for a, co- a division as the Big Ten East could have. Well, and they've got another big week this week with Ohio State playing Oklahoma, with Penn State playing Pitt. So. Um, you know, but I, I agree with that assessment. All right. Since we started this new incarnation of the audible 2.0, there's something we haven't had a chance to do yet that we're very excited to do now. And that is get some questions from you guys for the mailbag. We do still have the email address, the audible at gmail.com. But because we're recording these on Mondays, those emails tend to be pretty quickly out of date. So Bruce just solicited some questions on Twitter on Monday morning. What do we got? All right. The first one is from Sean O'Brien. He is at S-C-M-C-D-I-D-D-L-E-S. What do you think of the Oregon Ducks? Do you think coaching alone is enough to make them a top Pac-12 team? Good win against a weak Southern Utah team. Well, here's one thing that's that I'm wondering. So Oregon's playing Nebraska this week. Nebraska did not look great against Arkansas State, but you know Nebraska's this, defense really did not look not great. look great. Yeah, but Oregon is still a team that we thought would have a terrible defense that went four and eight last year, and they are a heavy favorite at home over Nebraska. What am I missing here? Uh, I think you're missing that Bobby Diaco's defense gave up a ton of plays and a ton of yards against Arkansas State. I think that was a concern. The offense, I think, was was fine. I mean, Tanner Lee in his first start in Nebraska was very efficient, hit some big plays, and they ran the ball really well. I mean, so there was that. I just think that right now, I think there's people, and maybe it's the the folks in Vegas kind of real remembered, hey, Oregon had a lot of talent, and they just, the bottom dropped out on them last year. Maybe there's that, and I think that's what's playing into it. By the way, uh, the other reason why I like this question is because this is our uh, our Fox game that my crew is doing. I'm fired up to go to Autzen, and this is a I think this is a very intriguing matchup. Obviously, Big Ten, Pac-12, Mike Riley goes back home. Uh, I think Oregon has a chance to win eight games, maybe even more than that. I think that when you look at the staff that Willie Taggart assembled, it's really good. He's still got Royce Freeman, who looked great the other day. And I, you know, I think he's right there with Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis. Uh, Justin Herbert is one of the best kept secrets in college football, a young quarterback who's very athletic, very talented, but I, I love the hire of Jim Levitt on defense. And I think they are, you know, I don't know if they're good enough on the D line to do more than win eight games in a really tough division, but I think we're going to find out a lot because this is a good test for them because of how well Nebraska runs the football. 
I think that Willie Taggart's put together a great staff. I think they're heading in the right direction. I would I would say I learned nothing from that game the other day against an overmatched opponent. And so, like you, I'm very curious. There's so many games this Saturday that are kind of, okay, this is where we'll find out more about these teams, and this obviously being one of them. So you're gonna, uh, are you going to DVR my games, too? No, actually, your game is going to be an easier one to watch because there's not a, I mean, there's like four great games all at once at night. Your game's more uh, got the spotlight to itself, right, in the afternoon? Yes. So tune in. Uh, we're, in the, we're in the middle of the day on you know, East, East Coast time, so it should, be a, uh, it, should be a, it should be a fun game just because it's, I think teams, two teams people are still trying to figure out. Uh, the next question is from Emily's Opinion Spot. At Emily Does Sports, how does Florida get back on track? Uh, well, we kind of talked a lot about Florida before. How does Florida get back on track? Wash that game as quickly as possible. Um, but, I mean, I think until we see some something to be excited about from Felipe Franks or Malik Zaire, who did not look good the other day, and frankly, it seems like very far removed now from that opener against Texas two years ago uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, like you said earlier, I mean, this is going to be a recurring story this year. Again, the Florida offense. All right, next question. By the way, this is a complete role reversal from, from the I past. know. You don't know him. I'm winging a match. It's I usually like the it. other way around. At Soap Sud Sports, what hurts Texas football programs more? Out of out-of-state schools poaching talent, emphasis on seven-on-seven in high school, too many in-state programs you know there's so much talent to go around in texas that if you're not winning at a high level at those schools then you mess something up i mean yes the sec schools are coming in and getting players out of texas alabama got uh, jalen hurts out of texas but there's still plenty to go around for texas texas a&m baylor tcu so the only thing that's hurting them is themselves either they're not evaluating right or they're not developing right yeah, I think that's a fair generalization of it. I would I would agree. Uh, we talked about Ohio State, Oklahoma. This question fits in with that. It's from JW. He is at Giants one 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 one. Where is Greg Schiano most likely to wind up after this year? I'm going to turn that one back at you. Okay, I think he actually would have, you know, if, if, and this is a big if, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if Notre Dame were to come open, I think Greg Schiano would actually have a shot at that job. Um, he can I, can I just stop you right there? We had an interesting conversation at dinner the other night in Atlanta about who would be the next coach of Notre Dame, if, and I hate to be bringing this up right after such a great debut for Brian Kelly, and it was amazing how hard it was to come up with anybody particularly natural. So Shiano's name did come up. I mean, that would be an interesting possibility. The other one we thought of was Dan Mullen. Yeah, that's an interesting possibility, I guess. The, um, the question is, is he going to win enough to get that? I mean, that would be, a, a tr- I think, maybe a tough sell unless he gets more than eight wins this year. He's coached uh, there before, and he, um, you know, I think such a big part of that job is being able to deal with the media, which he does very well. And, I mean, it's Mississippi State. You kind of have to grade them on a curve. I think he's actually won pretty well there. I had a name. I have a buddy who's a big Notre Dame person, and I threw it out at him. He didn't love the name. But I said, what about Joe Moorhead? Now, he was a head coach at Fordham. It's a FCS school. He did really, really well. It's his alma mater. 
Pittsburgh guy, great offensive system. He is a high character guy. I think he would be an interesting candidate. I think he's going to get the way, get a really good head coaching job sooner than later. Um, I don't know. I think that would be one they would be intrigued. Again, I don't think Notre Dame is going to come open. I think Notre Dame will have a good enough year. But is that one you would be in- interested in or no? Yeah, I mean, let's watch Penn State this season and see if the offensive explosion continues. I truly believe it will. Um, you know, he is he is already making a name for himself. He certainly did off of last season. And, you know, frankly, I think we'll be in high demand this coming offseason if Penn State has the kind of season we think they will. But obviously Notre Dame would be about as appealing a job, I would think, for somebody like him as might come open. We've got time for one more. All right, Stu, we're going to go into your backyard for this last question. It's from Lawrence Ross. He is at Alpha1906. How about the California Golden Bears How about the Wilcox the, era? What, I mean, that flew completely under the radar, but I thought Cal was going to be awful this year. And, and maybe it's just that UNC is going to be awful this year. You don't expect Cal to go across the country in that 9 a.m. Pacific game and beat UNC. I thought that was a fantastic start for Justin Wilcox. Dan Uthman, our managing editor at the All-American, uh, wrote about the Bo Baldwin effect. I mean, one of the more underrated or overlooked hires of the offseason was Cal going out and getting um, such a successful FCS head coach and great offensive mind to come be his coordinator. Yeah, when I did that list a week or so ago about top uh, coordinators with a chance to get a better job, I'd actually to get a to get a head coaching job. I had thought of Baldwin, but I just in my head, I'm like, I don't see them winning more than three games. You just don't usually hire a head coach who is a coordinator off a team that didn't, you know, won three or four games. Now maybe maybe they'll be a lot better than I thought. I didn't think they have enough defense. I just don't think I'm not that sold on quarterback play there. But uh, it was you know. not the best start for your guy, Brandon Harris. No, it was UNC. not. It was not. It couldn't be much worse of a start. Let's not honest. forget that the that UNC is replacing the highest rated uh, quarterback in this past year's draft. So it could be a bit of a rough start for Larry Fedora's team. So I want to give credit to Cal. That was a big win. But I also would not surprise me if you talk about Texas Notre Dame really. If that's the game that by the end of the season you're like, oh, well, that makes more sense. They're both not very good. But – um, let's not totally rain on the parade just yet. It was a fun opening weekend. It's still not actually over as of this recording. We're looking forward to watching Georgia Tech, Tennessee tonight. And then obviously week two is just loaded. So great to have college football back. And here's a few more things that we want to say. Subscribe to the Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Our producer is Lindsay Fulton. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Check out their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Stu on Twitter at SL Mandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And for updates on Stu's new site, The All-American, follow The Athletic CFB. We'll see you next time.